This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. You're listening to the Church Boys Free Fall Q&A. Hey, it's Billy Hollowell, and you're listening to the Church Boys Podcast. I'm here with Chris Field, and we have Congresswoman Diane Black on the line. How are you doing today? I am well. Thank you for having me today. Well, thank you for coming on. So you, you've had a busy week. You put out an open letter, which uh, we covered over at The Blaze, and it was an open letter to producer and actress Amy Brenneman. And you know, it was fascinating because I, I covered the first story and I read um, what she wrote, which was basically an, an op-ed in Cosmo saying that she hasn't for one second uh, regretted an abortion that she had um, during her younger years. And so you chose to respond to her in a really well-written um, open letter. Tell me tell me what led you to sort of just go beyond reading what she had to, to say and, and maybe feeling uncomfortable and, and just moving on. Why did you write a response to her? Sure. Well, first of all, look, I don't wish to see any woman live in shame or guilt for having an abortion. That's not not at all what I want to do. And I, But I think we have to reach women with the truth. And the truth is abortion is not responsible family planning. Um, and that's really what I wanted to say in that article. And I've worked with enough women who have um, had to have counseling for their decisions because they felt badly that they didn't have all the information that they needed and that they made a choice that later, if they would have had the information that they they should have had, and that's part of my complaint is that they're not getting that information, that they wouldn't be in the situations where they are um, in their life. And, you know, having an abortion really is a difficult decision. It's a heartbreaking decision. And it ends one life and in many cases damages the other. And so I wanted to get the message out there. This is not about putting shame or guilt, but it is about saying that um, that that we want women to have all the information when they make that decision and that it is an informed decision. And I thought that, you know, you, you did a great job of balancing that out in your letter. You know, many times, and I think you even said in the letter that that sometimes compassion hasn't been approached with with these sorts of topics when talking uh, with women about it. And you've had, you know, you've had about four decades as a nurse as well, which I think makes your position really fascinating to me, your background. Yes. And I have sat and I have counseled with women who many times these women, if you look at the average ages, um, they are young women that don't feel comfortable with um, having counseling maybe by a family member or um, a significant other uh, who wants them to have the abortion. And unfortunately, when they go into the abortion clinics, we know even looking at the consent forms that they're not getting all the good information that you would give someone in any normal um, medical procedure. And by the way, it is a medical procedure to have abortion. And so um, for me, it, I come from it very strongly from the medical side to be sure that women um, do understand that they have the right to ask the questions. They um, have the right to to get those answers that they need in order to make those informed decisions. And I don't think a lot of these clinics are giving them what should be their right for any other surgical procedure that is being done. Why would we not uh, want women to have those same standards and that same information? As a matter of fact, I think that's a true war on women, is that, um, that we're not giving them the same care and respect that we give in any other surgical procedure. 
Well, let me ask you uh, to respond to something because Bernie Sanders the other night um, during the the Fox News event that he participated in, he he had this quote, and I and I have a piece of it here. But he basically said, you know, Republicans love to talk about how the government is too big and the government's doing this and doing that, but when it comes to abortion, he said, and this was the quote, they want to tell every woman in America what she should do with her body. How do you respond to that? Well, first of all, I don't want to tell anybody what to do with their body, but I, as a nurse and a healthcare professional, want them to have all of the same safety measures and the same standards that you'd have for anything else. Look, if you came into an ambulatory care center and you were going to get an infected toenail taken off, I have to tell you all the alternatives to that procedure, um, the complications that can occur. I have to give you all the informed consent that I can possibly give you. As a matter of fact, sometimes it's almost to the point where you scare somebody so badly that they don't want to have the procedure done. But you have to tell them all those things. That is not being done in these clinics. And and so I believe that it is a war on women when you're not doing that. It's not telling somebody what they're going to do with their body, but it is certainly giving them all of the informed information that they have so that that life um, uh, heartbreaking decision that has to be made, they'll be made with full consent. Look, when they first decided Roe v. Wade back in the early 1970s, we didn't have the science and technology that we have today. They were convincing women this was nothing but a blob of tissue. And now we see, as they're doing the fetal tissue um, uh, harvesting, that they're getting a brain, a lung, a liver, a heart, that doesn't come from a blob of tissue. That comes from a baby. Right. So let's tell the truth about what it is and what they're doing so they can make the best decision they can make. I'm not telling a woman what to do. I'm giving her as much respect as I would any other surgical procedure. Well, you know, it's about honesty in terms of the terms that you're using. It's really bizarre how if you change the words of something, it changes the meaning and how people interpret it. And I think that's what kind of happens on this issue. If you're talking about, you know, a fetus or you're talking about something that doesn't sound human, it it sort of takes that humanity away from it a little bit in in the rhetoric. Absolutely. They don't want it to have personhood because then if it has personhood, it starts to change the whole equation. And that's the reason why they want to call it an embryo and a fetus. Yeah, there were, those are medical terms. We use a lot of medical terms. But when you're talking to someone, you should be talking to them on their level to let them know that is a baby that you're carrying. That is a baby that we're going to be, um, uh, that you're going to be ending its life. So, and that is right to have someone know that. You know, they I, shouldn't I, find that out years later. Oh, well, somebody told me it was just a blob of tissue. Right. It's not a baby. And then years later, you find that out. That's not fair. Right. And to add a little levity to this, do you suppose that if they said, you know what, if you're pregnant, you get two, you get two ballots when you vote, would that change the <laughs> Democrats' mind? <laughs> well, don't you find it interesting that when we have families who want these children and they're just they're devastated um, when they find out that there is something um, that surgically is wrong with the, the child and that they could go in and, and save this child by doing um, surgery in utero, that we do everything we can to save that life. And yet at the same time, um, on the other hand, we're just calling it a fetus. So um, in one way, it's a human life. And in the other way, if you want to just destroy it and not uh, talk about it in reality, then it's just a fetus. Well, yeah, and and society and society and in the, and the law in some states would look down on a woman who abuses drugs while pregnant. Uh, but if she just says, you know what, if she's sitting in the jail cell for using drugs while pregnant, 
um, she could just come up and say to the to the person running the prison, you know, I'd like to have an abortion, and that'd be okay. Well, what happens when you have an automobile accident, and the person who caused the automobile accident causes a pregnant woman to lose a child? Right. Um, they are held accountable for more than one life. Right. Uh, and then it's considered a life. Right. So where it's very, very confusing, and the abortion industry wants to continue to keep that confusion out there because, frankly, this is a money-making business. Right. The law, the law just about everywhere in the United States, and most people in their hearts, regardless of their political persuasions, recognizes that baby as a life uh, within the womb in, in almost every regard in their life, except when it comes to the abortion argument. That, that's right. So, Congresswoman, let me ask you this, and I don't know, not to put you on the spot, you know, with a medical question, but we're, I'm actually working on a story, and it's been really difficult to get. I, I'm looking fair with a fair-minded lens at this issue of late-term abortion and the life of a mother, let's say, you know, this mm-hmm. exemption for the life of the mother. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've been a nurse for years. Mm-hmm. You know, if if a woman is pregnant, let's say she's eight months pregnant and she has preeclampsia, she has some sort of medical condition. I guess the first question is, what are these life threatening medical conditions um, that require an abortion and why is there another option than than an abortion and that far along? Well, absolutely. And I will tell you that I worked in the emergency room for most of my medical career, and we never stood over a patient that was in a serious emergency situation and said, oh, well, let's let's save the mother. Oh, no, let's save the baby and have an argument about which one we should save. We attempt to save both of them. They are both valuable human lives. And so this whole um, scenario of saying, oh, but for the life of the mother, um, you know, there may be some circumstances where I'll give you an example where you have a mother who finds out that she has some sort of a and um, she's having to make a decision about taking chemotherapy, whether she can take that chemotherapy while she is pregnant, how it will affect the baby. And she'll have to make some decisions there. Those are very, very, very tough decisions. But they happen in so few cases. I don't have the statistics in front of me, but there are some statistics out there that will say how infrequently that scenario ever comes up. Um, you know, when Roe v. Wade was considered, um, the, the whole mantra out there from the pro-abortion community was, we want rare, safe, and legal. Do we have rare? Well, not when Planned Parenthood, one of the biggest abortion, abortion providers in the country, is doing 320,000 abortions a year, and that's just one organization. Um, it is still legal, and it, it, it is going to be legal unless there is ever something that overturns that, but let's for today say it is legal. Um, is it safe? Well, not in the case of Gosnell, because he was operating for 17 years without ever having um, the same standards that are required in other ambulatory care centers. So um, we still see that it's not safe everywhere all around this country, which is the big argument of why it's at the Supreme Court right now. Should we have uh, the the abortion clinics meet the same safety standards that you have in an uh, ambulatory care center? Well, of course you should. Why should you say to a woman that you deserve less than what you would deserve if you went over here to a, a, another clinic? Should that surgical procedure not be considered the same and, and safety standards the same in both of those facilities? Absolutely it should. No woman should have to lose her life because there is not a safe clinic that she's having a, a procedure done in. Let me, let me ask you a question about that Texas law that you were just, you were just citing. 
and and I don't have a disagreement with it. But uh, how does that does that same is there is there a similar standard for other clinics where surgical procedures are being done, including like oral surgery, uh, a, a dentist office, an ortho or an you know, orthodontist office or whatever, where there may be Absolutely. oral surgery. Absolutely, those those Every, standards exist for other <laughs> other medical uh, professions, right? All of those places have safety standards. They have cleanliness standards. They are routinely surveyed by the health department in that particular state. All of them do. Why would you not have the same um, standard for an abortion clinic that you have for other health care facilities? I don't believe any woman should lose her life at the hands of an unregulated, unsafe abortion clinic or even by a fly-by-night abortion doctor, because I've had that ha- I had that happen in one of the emergency rooms I worked in, where we had a young lady that had an out-of-town doctor come into town, perform the abortion, give her a 1-800 number. She had a complication. By the time she got to the hospital, she had lost so much blood, we couldn't save her. Mm. I watched her die. I watched her die because it was an unsafe facility that she had that done in by a fly-by-night doctor that came to our state from an out-of-state. Oh, wow. That is wrong. That is a war on women. Wow. wow. So, and we should all be just angry about that and say this should never happen. Yeah. Can, can I go back for one second? Because I want it. You brought up the cancer example with the life mm-hmm. of the mother, which I think is actually a really tragic and and. In, and one that isn't discussed a lot. You know, I, I interviewed an abortion doctor the other day and we talked about it on, on the show. In fact, it did not end very well. And I was asking very basic questions like what I asked you, you know, mm-hmm. what, how does this work? What other conditions, if somebody, what are other conditions like preeclampsia, heart, heart conditions? I guess my question before you answer is if you're eight months pregnant and you suddenly have a health issue as, as a mother, I understand if you're four months pregnant or five months pregnant, but if the baby is viable outside of the womb, why would it a, why would an abortion be the solution if there's nothing wrong with the baby? It, it, in my world and where I um, practice medicine, of course, I'm not in, in the emergency room now, but where I practice medicine, I can tell you I never remember a case in my 40-plus years of medicine where we stood and said, should we save the mother, should we save the baby? You attempt to save both of them, and you don't make a decision, to, and especially in late-term um, where that might occur in a, a case, as you're saying, such as preeclampsia. Well, we we have medications and um, and and ability to be able to take care of both of them medically. Very good, very so, good. And yeah, I wanted to ask you about the Select Investigative Panel on Infant Lives. Um, wh- where are things standing with that? How is the investigation going? Have there been any surprising elements that you'd want to share? Well, I think what is um, my impression of what did come out of the hearing, the first hearing that we had, and it was on bioethics, as we look at ethical standards that were set, and they were set set by the Reagan Commission um, back in the 1980s, there are a lot of things that have changed. Medicine has moved along. Technology has moved along more advanced now. Um, that what came out of this for me was a question about do we really do we need to relook at where we are on the ethical standards of um, of fetal tissue research in this day and age, and also in the policies and procedures that are being done in these clinics, the amount of information, the kind of information that's being given. For instance, um, we did have access to a um, informed consent, uh, and these young women are being told that the tissue is being used to uh, for cures. That that they're that the tissue has been used to find cures for Alzheimer's and um, 
Parkinson's disease. Well, that I'm aware of. We've not cl- we've not cured Parkinson's or Alzheimer's yet, and yet they're being led to believe that th- that this tissue, these kinds of tissues, um, uh, baby body parts, have actually been used to have success, and that's misleading. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you tell a young woman that, that is a misleading statement. So just looking at those kinds of things and saying, is this appropriate? Do we need to have another panel, another commission to to look at the current day science and technology and the standards that we use um, for both the harvesting piece that is being used? Can they use the cell lines that um, have been there rather than this tissue that's um, being used at currently? And then also the the big money that's coming out of this is a big money-making industry and getting to the bottom of that because really um, the commission back in the uh, late um, 1980s said that there should not be any sort of um, uh, funding that could be used for uh, profit. And yet we see that these centers that are using this tissue are for-profit centers. So I think there are a number of questions that have come out of this that may cause us to go a little further in having another commission. Very good. Uh, Congressman, I, I heard you you mentioned earlier the, the safe, legal, and rare argument that was used for a long time. In fact, Bill Clinton was the one who really championed that argument back in the 90s, I believe, <laughs> if I remember yeah. correctly. And one of the one of the knocks against it that I think that the that the Rush Limbaugh's made was if this is a constitutional right, who argues for a rare exercise of a constitutional right, right? But now mm-hmm. they're not. But now they're not even making that rare argument. Now, if you if you read Planned Parenthood's tweets and other things, they just say they just keep pushing the mantra safe and legal, safe and legal, safe and legal. No longer is rare. Does rare even enter into it? Because they well, real- they better they better start redefining safe because we've got these clinics that are not safe. They so they need to re- redefine that. But actually, their mantra today is free and plentiful. Yeah, 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 yeah. They've argued. They've they've started to argue. Yeah. They've started to argue the, the opposite case, yeah. which is which is fascinating. As the science has increased and more and more people are becoming aware of the life of the child, Planned Parenthood keeps to keeps devolving in its argument and. And is, is, is arguing in the face of science, you know, we're the, the Republicans are supposedly not we, you, I mean, you remember the Republican Party, the Republicans are supposedly the anti-science party, yet the Republicans are not the ones denying the science of the life of a baby. And I find that interesting that that's where the, the cause has gone from Planned Parenthood. Well, the other thing you should find interesting is as Planned Parenthood uh, talks about their major mission is for um, preventative health. Yeah. And yet we see that their preventative health services in their clinics are going down. Yeah. Their abortions are either going up a little bit or staying the same. Right. And so if that really is their major mission, which is what my point was to Ms. Richards when she was before the um, on the oversight committee, is if that really is your main mission, preventative health, then why don't you just do preventative health and um, and not do this abortion on the other side since there is a a cry and woe out there from the American people, and these are people who are pro-abortion and pro-life, that they don't want their taxpayer dollars to be used for this. And yet she will back down on that one because she calls abortions, they are considered to her um, health. That's not health care. When when there is a death of one and a damage to the other, that I don't consider to be health care. And so it's just, you know, the words that they use and the confusion that they put out there is very intentional. And I, I, I found that uh, we've made some, we, the pro-life movement has made some very significant um, advances in their arguments. And one of the arguments that have been, has been often used is the one that you're using, health of 
the mother, women's health, advocating for women's health, which I think is a uh, a fine is a good tactic to use because anything that reduces abortion, regardless of the argument, to me, as long as what you're doing is legal and not immoral, you should be making those arguments to reduce the number of abortions. For me, right, as a pro-lifer, the other is the 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 frequent uh, pointing out of Margaret Sanger and her her eugenics movement and that there is a mm-hmm. there is a race factor when it comes to abortions and where you find clinics and that sort of thing. Those, though, both speak to, for lack of a better term, selfish motives. You ought to oppose abortion because it hurts your health as a woman. You ought to oppose abortion because it hurts your race as a, as a black person or, or whatever. What will it take? My concern is to, to raise the consciousness of people beyond the selfish, I need to save black people like me or I need to save minority members like me, I need to save women like me, and focus on, I need to be saving babies. Uh, what will it take to convince, or to convince, I should say, convince more people that there is a life there? I mean, it's been fun, to, it's been fascinating to see the advances with the with the 40 imaging and all these other things. What will, right. it, ta- what will it take to change that mindset? Get away from the selfishness arguments as long if, as long as they're working, we should keep using them. But our, I think our lead argument needs to be convincing people that is an innocent human life that's sitting there. Well, I think the first thing you do is you talk more about how you do prevent pregnancies. And this, if, if abortions are so easy to get and you just think that it's a blob of tissue, then it's not a conscience issue. So the the abortion industry has tried to push that. Science and technology has now showed us a difference in that, in that it is a life, and it is a life from very early on. Um, But I think for me, one of the things that is the most exciting is that I see more and more young people recognize it's a life because they have the technology and the science to be able to see that. We now have a window into the womb. As you say, the 4D imaging, we see them sucking their thumbs. We see them doing all kinds of fun little things. This is a, a human life now, and young people are seeing that, and I, that's the thing that's encouraging for me, is that I see more and more peop, young people saying, you know, I, I think that this is really not right. I think we really ought to be rethinking whether this is something that we should be doing in mass as we are doing, and um, that it's not just abortion on demand, but it is in those rare circumstances where you would be doing it. And so I am encouraged by uh, the youth that are, are coming to see this as life. Well, listen, we really appreciate it. We have to have you on again because this has been fascinating, and I appreciate your perspective and, and sharing everything you did today with us. Well, you are very welcome, and thank you for getting the message out there that this truly is a life and um, and being there and being part of this movement. Well, appreciate your time. You have a good one. Thank you. Okay, you do the same. Okay, bye-bye. Church Boy.